But we've transitioned, so Moses is there on the east side of the Jordan River, modern Jordan, and he's addressing the the next generation that's going to go into the promised land, conquer the land, and then dwell on the land and go forward as a nation in the land. He led the nation out of Egypt in their bondage, and he led them through the wilderness, but it's not for him to take them in. That's for Joshua. And so here's his final message, the book of Deuteronomy, where he's going to expound and expand and explain the law of God as already recorded for us in Exodus and Leviticus, but different details and different insights that he's going to give to the next generation. And that's what we're moving toward as we come to chapter four. So he's reviewed God's faithfulness to them in the wilderness wandering. And tonight in this chapter four, he shifts gears in this strong exhortation that above all else is just to obey the Lord, to just obey the Lord. It's just a general overall sweeping application and concept or thought is that to obey the Lord, that God gives his law, God has rights and wrongs, there's a moral compass, there's truth and falsehood, there's life and death, and there's choices and volitional will, that is our choices, and to make the right choice to obey the Lord. And so that's consistent from Genesis in the Garden of Eden to the book of Revelation, who's in and who's out, is choices and choosing to obey or disobey against the Lord. The problem is we have rebellion in us as sinners. And even when we're saved and born again, we have that fleshly nature that dies slowly. So to do, just do nothing, we'll just move toward the flesh. So you have to make the effort to move toward the spirit. And so Moses is just exhorting them, hey, you need to diligently obey. And really the chapter, most of it is about just being diligent, obey and do what's right. But as we pick it up in verse 32, we come into this thought process where whereby Moses was giving exhortations and really truly giving warnings. He's basically saying like, hey, take heed to yourself, take heed to yourself, take heed to yourself. And when you're older and you're in the land thriving, don't, don't shut it down and get lazy, but stay sharp with the Lord. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what, where he was at. And he said, and when you fall into a different country because you disobeyed against the Lord, cry out to the Lord. And when you seek him with your whole heart, He'll hear you, which history shows he did do for them in this covenant known as the Mosaic Covenant. But in the, after completing that thought of warnings and exhortations, he says this in th- verse 32. So we're kind of jumping in the middle of a thought process, but that's okay because it says this in verse 32. In the context of the covenant and obeying God's word. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which are before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war? By a mighty hand and outstretched arm and by great tears, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none other besides him. Out of heaven let you hear his voice that he might instruct you. On earth he showed you his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance as it is to this day. Therefore know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. 
There is no other. And you shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land, which the Lord your God has given you for all time. What a powerful passage of God speaking really about the past, the present, and the future in the context of Israel as a nation. They are new in this covenant. They've been in this covenant for about 40 years. He had prophesied that this covenant would come to pass, even going back to the original prophecies of Jesus Christ in Genesis chapter 3 after the fall in the garden. And when Noah went on the ark and came off the ark, that was a covenant that God had. And then a few hundred years after Noah, from his descendants, came Abram, and God made a covenant with Abram. And from Abram, that's Abrahamic covenant, God made these promises that 400 years later, your descendants are going to come from a faraway land, and I'm going to give them this land. He made that promise, as we know, from Genesis to Abram, when he became Abraham, before he had any children, according to the promise, the son of the promise, of course, being Isaac. So this great nation comes from Isaac, and then Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, and Jacob's 12 children, through the four different women, that are the 12 tribes of Israel. And here they are now. And the census, when they came out of Egypt, there uh, post-Mount Sinai, they did a census. They had about 600,000 men above the age of 21, able to go to war. But all those over 20 died in the wilderness. And another census was done at the end of the 40 years, right about this time. And there's now about another 600,000 men able to go to war. One generation has passed away, and another generation has come. And Moses is part of the passing generation, but he's equipping the next generation. And so when he talks about this covenant, when he's talking about their covenant, they're new to this covenant. For example, we're the church of Jesus Christ. What a blessing. We're an extension of Peter and John and all the apostles, Philip, Andrew. You realize that tonight? Every one of us who's given their life to Christ, if we go all the way back on our spiritual genealogy, we go back to the 12 apostles. We go back to the day of Pentecost, 2,000 years. For many of us, because each generation is, of course, limited to their generation, our 80 years or 100 years, we have a spiritual faith that we receive from somebody. So Pastor Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, now with the Lord, he grew up in the Foursquare movement under the influence of Amy Semper Fi and others and more Pentecostal. And he was a miracle child, if you know the story of how, you know, the whole... God saved his older sister, a miracle for his parents. She was dead. She came back to life. The parents repented. They got saved. And then Chuck was born, and he was Corbin, dedicated to the Lord. If you don't know, that's a powerful story. It's in the book, Memoir of Grace. And so Chuck was always set apart. Now, Chuck was 86 when he stepped into eternity. He's been in eternity for six years, so that's 90. We'll just go 90, round numbers. And Chuck lived a good, full life. And then about 20 years into ministry, he was led by the Lord to take over this Bible study down here in Huntington Beach. He said he loved Huntington Beach. He didn't want to move anymore. He, he really liked Huntington Beach. He began to surf and he figured, you know, given a choice, I'll take HB over Tucson. That's his own testimony. And he did. But he ran out of sermons in two years, so he had to figure out what to do. And that's where he was led by Haley's Bible commentary to teach First John, the epistle, verse by verse and extend his stay in Huntington Beach, and then the rest is history. We call that the Jesus Movement, and it's also known as the Calvary Chapel Movement. So 
That all happened in the mid-60s. That's more than 40 years ago. So if you were in just us being a Calvary Chapel affiliate and me being an ordained Calvary Chapel pastor, then we can kind of get that timeline. So as a Calvary Chapel pastor, and just having been at a conference in Los Angeles with the Calvary Chapel pastors, and what, what's the word? As a movement, Calvary Chapel is very young in church history. But we come from all these things that came before us. And when we think about covenants, they're so new in their covenant. We talk in the Calvary Chapel movement of Calvary Chapel distinctives, sort of like the philosophy of how we do ministry. The body of Christ has all kinds of distinctives in history of different movements from Monrovians in Germany going to the Caribbean to share the gospel and all this kind of stuff. There's a tapestry of church history that's amazing. And tonight, if you're born again, you're part of that tapestry. Whoever shared the gospel with you, and it's probably many people, they say you usually hear the gospel 30 times before you respond to it. I, I could do a whole study on all the different people that shared the gospel with me in my lifetime before I gave my life to the Lord in the private, privacy of my own room there in Vista in 1987. But we're a legacy. And when I look at this text tonight, and as I taught it Tuesday night, what I really saw was a connection of the context from their context historically under covenant, new in the covenant, with a new generation. I really see for us as the church of Jesus Christ, these words for the church, not removing them from their context for Israel, but the principle as they apply for the church in spring of 2021. And so with that perspective. I draw your attention again to verse 32. Because God is giving the exhortations through Moses. And he says, ask now. This is very unique because you don't see this a lot in scripture. And I mentioned this Tuesday. This is what I love about Deuteronomy. There's just some things that happen where it's just like, where do you see like, ask now. Ask now. Now he's got a whole nation of people who are going to have to step out in faith in about a month's time and go inherit to the promises while going to war. People who are stronger and mightier, and they're going to have to go in faith. And God says, ask now. Ask now. And tonight, as the church of Jesus Christ, I want to use that phrase for us. Ask now. If we've given our life to Christ, I want to say in the context again of this text tonight, as the church, ask now. Ask now in the history of the church of Jesus Christ that he bought with his blood on the cross and confirmed with his resurrection from the grave and who we are tonight on the cusp of going forward in the first half of the year of 2021. Ask now. Let's think that way as we go through this text. Ask now. Because the exhortation is coming from above. Ask now. And in this asking, it sets up the past, the present, and the future and how to look at these things in for them in their context, but for us in our context as the body of Christ, even as worship generation is a church almost 18 years old, well, 20 plus counting Calvary Coast and Mason, we're there, but, or the Calvary movement, or just even our timeline. Ask now about God's faithfulness to his church, about God's faithfulness in his covenants, about God's faithfulness to you, to your family, to the family that lived, that you came from, that's gone now. Ask now. That's what God is saying. So as we ask now, we draw attention to what we're really asking about. In essence, it's the things that happened before this day, and really the context is things that happened even before us. 
Because look what he says. Ask now concerning the days that are past. So we're looking backwards now. We're going to be reflective. And of course, history is my favorite subject. So I love to read history. I'm fascinated by history. I'm reading a book. It's called Dreadnoughts. It's about, you know, the original dreadnought that Britain built around 1907. It was almost like nuclear weapons back then. It was a battleship like no other. And then the Germans started building them, and Britain kept building them. And Winston Churchill was Lord of the Navy at, in the First World War. And it's crazy. These dreadnoughts, and they're fascinating to me when I think about how they built them, built them, built them, and then all the large financial budget for them, and they never even used them in World War I because the Germans had the U-boats. And they had the one big battle at Jungerland early on, and then they never really had another big battle again. But those big dreadnoughts kept, kept the German fleet from leaving Germany and going out into the North Sea. But they just sent out the subs, and then the next four years was Winston Churchill trying to figure out what to do with those subs and how to stop those German U-boats. But as, I was, as I'm reading about this kind of history, I think like Winston Churchill and how God spared his life miraculously in the Boer Wars and stuff like that. I think how God just has had his hand over human history. How he's had his hand over my life. But just human history from Adam. And then the pre-flood world. And how he, he led Seth through that and Seth's descendants to Noah. And how he had Noah build that ark. And then how, again, Abraham came from the post-flood world. And how Abraham did obey God. And God did prophesy all the things about Jesus Christ, his son, through Abraham and before Abraham. And even in the context of this covenant, it's all moving toward Jesus Christ coming into the world for us, which we're celebrating this holy week, Palm Sunday, tomorrow. So we ask now, I think, I'm asking just the bigger panoramic of human history, the body of Christ, and your family before you came into the world, and your family while you've been in the world, because that's the context, to think for a minute. So I want us to think about where we come from, our family. What did our family go through before we were born? My dad grew up born in 1930. He grew up in the Midwest during the Depression. His mom had moved to Madison to get off the farm because she didn't want to be a farmer's wife. My dad's dad went away to World War II for two and a half years with the 4th Marine Division with the Red Cross because he was too old to be in the Marines. So he served the Marines with the Red Cross. My dad served in Vietnam. I was alive. I remember Walter Cronkite and the Vietnam War on TV and all that stuff, the fall of Saigon. I remember all of it. But my dad remembers hearing about Pearl Harbor on the radio. There's so much that precedes us. And was not God faithful to your parents and your grandparents, whether they acknowledge it or not, and your great-grandparents? I want you to think about that for a minute. My great-grandmother, Elise, came through Ellis Island in 1904 with a bunch of kids and didn't speak one word of English. Her husband had been in the States for three years already and saved up the money. They they've came across the Atlantic in the poorest situation possible to be on that transatlantic voyage. They got on a train, not speaking a word of English, and came to Illinois. And one of the sons died in a timber accident early on doing the only job they could find in the United States of America because there was a, a famine in Norway and they left Norway. What's the story that came before you? And was not God faithful to your parents, your grandparents, and your great-grandparents? And who came before them? God has always been, from Adam, the father and the head of our race, to Eve, the mother and head of our race, he has always been faithful to humanity. He has always been faithful to humanity. He's bigger than all, like Jack was praying about the noise. He's so much bigger than all the noise. Forget the noise. 
Women Before Midnight was the book I read years ago about the showdown between Khrushchev and Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. And let me tell you that we didn't blow up the entire planet in 1962 is amazing. So ask now, did not God save the planet? We crash landed a plane with a live nuclear bomb on it in Indianapolis during the Cuban Missile Crisis and it didn't go off. There was there communication misunderstandings between the diplomats that should have brought the whole world to war. My dad went to the Cuban Missile Crisis, gave my mom a gun and 20 bombs and said, when the crazy people come out of Los Angeles, this is how you use this rifle, stay on the base, it's the safest place you can be. Ask now, has God not preserved the human race? Has he not taken care of us? Has he not seen all the injustices and worked toward justice for those who let him work through them to bring about those justices? Has he not been faithful to your family before you came in the world? Has he not been faithful to you with, a part of, or in spite of your family? These are the things that we should be thinking about in this context because we ask now God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness is greater than the faithfulness of your grandparents or your parents. Amen? Sure it is. I learned a long time ago not to blame my parents. I really wanted to blame my parents. It, it's, it's nice to blame your parents. It works. It's very convenient. They are sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. And, you know, if you're looking for a blame game, you can usually start with your parents. And this came point the Lord's like, don't, don't blame that on your dad and don't blame that on your mom. You're a grown man. Accept responsibility for what you're going to do. That's a liberating day when you come to that place in your life, by the way, if you never come to that place. But has not God been faithful? So now we get more recent, and we think about who we are in the body of Christ. Has God not blessed worship generation? You know, he spoke to me in the middle of the night and told me he was going to give me the sanctuary at Calvary Costa Mesa in February of 2000. Now, Ronald Reese was teaching Thursday nights at Calvary Costa Mesa. And the Lord's like, I'm going to give you that night. I'm like, well, what I do is walk up to Mr. Manafort today, Raul Reese himself, and say, hey, you know, God spoke to me in a dream and said he's given me the sanctuary. You're supposed to go back to Golden Springs or Diamond Bar. And the Lord's just like, I've told you. Now watch me see. What, watch and see what I do for you. Within two weeks, Brian Broderson called me up and said, uh, Joey, yeah, Chuck was saying we should give you the sanctuary on Thursday nights. Ask now from Adam to Amy Semperfi, to the Calvary Movement, to the Apostle Peter and everything in between. Ask now. Has not God done everything? He calls the stars by name. He holds them in the span of his hand. He knows the hairs on your head. Has, ask now. Has not God been faithful to you and created open doors for you that are unexplainable? I said, God, I need worship leaders. He goes, I got that. Remember the guy you did the outreach ministry in the jail with? That kid from Indianapolis, Indiana, Jeremy Camp? He's pretty good. I'm going to bring him to you. Remember that Wickham kid that was 15 you saw at Vista? He's pretty good too. I'm going to give him to you. And you need a name. I'm going to give that to you next month when you're at the Christian Club in Fallbrook with Scott Cunningham and Josh Seale. In two months, he gave us the sanctuary. He gave us Phil and Jeremy, Tim Chaddock, Scott Cunningham. He gave us the sanctuary. He gave us K-Wave. He did it all. Ask now. That's what he did for worship generation. That's who we are tonight. As we move toward Holy Week, Passion Week, on Palm Sunday. Jesus Christ isn't just faithful to us personally, but he's been faithful, and to the generations before us, but he's been faithful to us as a, as a movement, as a church. 
He has been faithful and will continue to be faithful. That's the purpose of looking back. Ask now concerning the days that are past. God has been faithful. You know, we're going to have to stare down the grave, all of us. And we're, from here, I mean, the reality, and most of you know this, the reality is life is hard. And there's always a tragedy right around the corner. And the older you get, the closer you are to more tragedies. And loss of freedoms as, you, as we face the effects of sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. And we need to learn as we face the uncertain future and the challenges of the future that we need to learn to look to the past and know how God, faithful God has been before we were ever born to all humanity, to all of his covenants, to the church of Jesus Christ and to the Calvary Chapel movement and even to this church and to you. On your darkest day, Jesus prepared you for it. Ask now. You know that worst experience in your life? Ask now. Jesus went before you. Your dad's death, your mother's funeral, your child's death, the worst thing imaginable? Ask now. In times past, when you faced your worst fear and it came to pass, like Job, ask now, was not God faithful? You see, he's always faithful. He's the God of all comfort who comforts us in our distress that we might comfort others. It seems like lately I've been pulled into some very serious and heavy ministries. Many of you saw the prayer request from this week. You know what I'm talking about. So sad. So heavy. So sorrowful. For the people of covenant who are willing to look to Jesus Christ, he turns Ashes to beauty. So ask now. Ask now. Did not God bring us through that? Will he not bring us through all those things? Ask now. You personally. Ask now. And know that he was there before you were there. And when you woke up, he knew it was coming that day. And he knows what's coming tomorrow. So ask now. Has he not been faithful? Passion Week is a good week to reflect on God's faithfulness and not live in fear, but live in faith and literally pull this scripture and say, ask now concerning the days that are past. God has been faithful in all of them. He will always be faithful. And that's Moses' point. In all the uncertainty we face today and for tomorrow, we need to know and never forget that God has always been faithful to the human race by sending his son, Jesus to redeem us from the curse of sin as promised in Genesis 3.15 and every promise going forward from there. He has protected the human race from global wars, nuclear weapons, threats of absolute destruction. He has protected us from all those things. Crazy men. Isn't it crazy to think that Joseph Stalin had nuclear weapons? If you know anything about Joseph Stalin, you know it's pretty crazy. The guy actually had buttons. It's kind of crazy to think there's people right now that have a great responsibility and can push nuclear weapons that can obliterate us right now. But ask now, has not God preserved the human race? No one's going to push any buttons until Jesus says it's done. So don't lose any sleep over that. When Jesus says it's done, it's done for you personally and for the human race. 
but ask now is not God faithful. We're not moved by fear, we're moved by faith. That's the whole point of what God's saying here. That he has been faithful before us to humanity, to his covenants, to the church, to your family, and even in your lifetime that you've lived, in the darkest days, he has been faithful. He's given you the mountaintop experiences, and he's given you the lowest valley, and he has been faithful. And so I remind us tonight, as we move forward as the Church of Jesus Christ in the year of our Lord, 2021, we are the Church of Jesus Christ. We have the gospel message. We have Jesus Christ over us who loves us and walks in our midst. And there is nothing in front of us that he can't face and bring us through because he's the good shepherd. And he wants us to be people of faith. And he wants us to be confident in the future because of who he's been to us in the past. Not just to you and this church and the Calvary movement and the body of Christ, but to humanity. Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross and rise from the grave to leave us short-ended, to come short of an optimistic and faith-filled future. 2021 doesn't deter me. COVID doesn't deter me. Global governments don't deter me. Evil men don't deter me. Because Jesus Christ and his word and who he is and his promises as my shepherd encourages me. And the rest is nothing compared to who he is what he's done, where he's at, what he's promised, and what he's going to do. So ask now, is not God faithful? And we can always trust him. We also see where he brings up today. And of course, remembering his faithfulness gives us strength for today. And, And we look at today. It says here in verse 39, Know, therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart. Okay, so all that faithfulness, all the things God's promised for them, all the things God had done for them early on in their covenant, he says, know this day and consider it in your heart. That the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. And then he says, you shall therefore. Okay, so because of today, of knowing today, asking now about the past, knowing today, this day, Consider in your hearts, not just your mind, but the heart, the whole total human experience, our very being, the essence of our being, that the Lord is God in heaven and on earth, and there's no other. And you shall therefore keep his statutes, his commandments, which I command you today. So God's faithfulness to humanity, to his covenants, to the church, to your family, to your ancestors, to who we are this day and the family experiences that we've had in our journey, God's faithfulness Because of that, we know that we can trust him and that God's always going to do what's good. And what he calls us to do may not be easy. It might be extremely difficult. There are extremely difficult things that we face in our life that God calls us to do. And yet, when it comes to obeying the Lord, there's really two elements to it. There's obeying the obvious in his word. like That's why we teach verse by verse. And that's why we teach all scripture. Because the Apostles' Doctrine is the expansion and explaining of the Old Testament as it's applied by the Holy Spirit working in our life, being a new creation in Christ, a new woman, a new man. And it's always going to be about obedience. And it's always going to be about just making the right choices. And the more we can line up good choices and the right decisions, the more blessings it brings upon our personal life and the people we love. But he says, know this day and consider in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven and uh, above and on earth beneath. Like there's, there's no other. And everything that God does is good. God is good and what he does is good. And what he does is just and right and true and noble. It's perfect justice. It's perfect righteousness. 
is perfect love because that's who God is. God is love and God is just. And everything he does is good. And the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. That's a passage that's going to come up for us later on in Deuteronomy. But it's today, which I command you today. So it's always about today. This is the day that the Lord has made. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the day of salvation. Today, if you will not harden your heart, is in the wilderness. God's always in the economy of today. And aren't you glad he is? Like, aren't you glad he doesn't say, you know, you really wrecked it yesterday. And so it's just, you have no chance for today. Aren't you glad that his mercies are new every morning? It's always about today with the Lord. We, we just cannot change it's such a humbling reality as you get older, like because your yesterdays become more. When you're 15, your yesterdays are like 15 years of yesterday, right? Well, that's just my sophomore year. I got my junior and senior year in front of me, right? Okay, but when you're 60, yesterday is like yesterday is like the Beatles singing yesterday, right? Like it's a long time ago, like the Beatles. When you're older, yesterday there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in yesterday you'd like to forget or redo, and you can't. You just can't. Only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's appointed unto men to die once. That's why there's a, there's a lot of religious systems and philosophies that teach second chances, coming back as a, you know, a different animal or another human being or all these things because people want to believe that. But we can't change our yesterdays. And it's good to be reminded of that because it is about today. God was faithful yesterday and maybe we weren't. But God's economy is today. All the promises are focused on today. And interestingly enough, they're not really extended beyond today, right? Because we know tomorrow is guaranteed to no one. And the Bible gives plenty of warnings about that. So really, we have to be about today. We need to be in today. And having gone through the death of my father-in-law a few months ago, the death of my mother a year ago, my dad almost passing away during COVID and in and out of the hospital and all those things. And managing my father's estate and stuff and the legal responsibilities there and his tax returns and just, just all this different stuff that you don't even think about. And then having his accounts violated by attempted hackers and then having to go to square one with social security and DFIS and the military. You don't even, it's just, this is stuff to put your stomach in knots. But it's what I'm called to do. And watching my wife faithfully manage my mom's trust, which is still going a year plus since she's been gone. And watching my wife for a year manage all these things for my mom when she was gone and the wisdom of my mom putting my wife in charge of all her stuff. And it gets so overwhelming. And it's in this last period of taking, this is the last four years of taking care of our elderly parents and having them pass away and all these things. And then helping my sister because that's what my mom asked me to do. And it's literally like a legal document was written up to give us responsibility to take care of my sister and make sure she's set up. So of course I feel responsible for her and get in her Florida, getting her established in a new life and all that stuff. And it gets so overwhelming and what I've really simplified my life with is, what's the next thing? I actually learned that from my wife in her phone calls, how she handles them. You went on the phone for two hours, a difficult thing, with insurance people, trying to get the money back because someone passed away, that kind of stuff. 
and you send the document. Well, that's the wrong document. We didn't receive it. So, well, what would you like me to do? What's the next thing? See, we can get all this noise going in our mind and get overwhelmed and we can get anxiety. And the last few months has stretched us tremendously. All the travel I've had back and forth, helping my sister, just trying to be in front of things, be proactive, not reactive. But no matter how much you try to be proactive, there's times in life, no matter what you do, you're reactive. There's just times you're on your heels, as they say. And I just go back to what's the next thing? So what's the next thing today? Because we're going to have the grandbaby's going to be born and we have to watch the grandkids possibly for three days. Wow. Okay. There's a giant blizzard coming, the fourth biggest storm in history in Denver history. Okay. Hopefully it doesn't come early because I'm going home Friday and it's coming Saturday, but you never know with Midwest weather, right? But we got to watch these grandkids. And we want a safe delivery because Wilkie almost died when he was born a year ago. So there's always anxiety over that. And then I'm going to come home and then we got to go back and they're going to move to Florida. And we're going to need to drive a couple cars and help them get to Florida. And we're going to drive across the country essentially in four days. But then when you get to Florida, it doesn't end, right? Because then you got you to move in. You got to get stuff at Target. You got to have the water turned on, the electricity turned on, all these things. And, you know, my sister moved to Florida just before all this. It, and it's like, what's the next thing? That's my point. What's the next thing? When, when I first started taking care of my dad's stuff, I'd get so, I would have like anxiety attacks. And my mom would say, Joe, just call them, make the call, and then go from there. So God is the God of the next thing. What's the next thing this day God has for you? And is he invited to be over it? Is he Lord of it? And are you obeying his clear will in it? Because the obey is the word of God itself. And that's why it's so important we're in his word every day, growing in the word and taking notes on the word. Because thy word, O Lord, I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And... How can a young man or woman cleanse their ways? By taking heed according to your word. So we got to keep the word going in. And the word goes in, Jesus is premier. He's first because we live and breathe. In him we live and breathe and move and have our being, as Paul said to the Athenians. And we're going to obey his word. And it's going to restrain us from disobeying it. And then there's the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, like about not just his word, but sort of how his word applies to this area of our life. How we're gonna how we're gonna call this person or receive this reproof or do these things? How we're gonna apply the word? I had someone say stuff to me this week. I've had quite a few people say stuff to me lately. I don't like to hear. Um, that's just the way it goes sometimes. But someone was very uh, direct on some stuff, and yeah, I didn't like it. But really, I know enough about the Bible to have humility and a teachable spirit. I just got to get past it. I'm offended how it was delivered. But Lord, the way that it doesn't matter how they said it. And I've often said this, your enemies will tell you what you need to hear. Your friends won't tell you what you need to hear. Believe it or not, your enemies will often tell you what you really need to hear. And I'm not saying someone that's an enemy told me what I need to hear, but I just didn't like, I just didn't like what they had to say. But it was true. So that's, how am I going to obey the word on that? Okay, well, I'm going to apply humility. I'm going to say, okay, well, what, what can we do here? 
Does it feel like that every day? I mean, don't we all feel like we're under construction? Like, don't you feel like sometimes the Holy Spirit's like the contractor or the, the city that comes out to inspect the work? You're like, oh, really? Like, I thought we set the plumbing right and the electrical was exactly what you told us to. It is good. It's better than last time. But you know what? It could be better this way. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He searches us. He searches the deep things of God. There's a warning in this chapter that when you get old and you have children and grandchildren, you grow old in the land and you act corruptly and you make carved images. So listen, let the Holy Spirit contractor, the city contractor, inspector come in and let him fix it. Because if we don't let him fix it today and obey and receive what he's shown us to do, then we're just, it says we're going to get older and we're going to grow old in the land and act corruptly. Does anyone here want to grow old and act corruptly? No. Yeah, so we need to obey today. We can't change yesterday, but we need to obey today. We need to obey the obvious word, and we need to obey the sensitivity to God's Spirit, applying that word in our life and guiding us. Because the Spirit's always consistent with the word, because he wrote the word of God. But the, the personal applications. You know, it says that God resists the problem, gives grace to the humble, right? I know that. So why don't you just receive that reproof and humble yourself? Well, I'm not sure that's the application. No, it actually is the application. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. I know that. Well, then why are you saying that? Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. So why you? I know that. I've taught it like at least five times in 30 years being a pastor. Then why don't you just live it? Don't just teach it or quote it. Why don't you actually... Like, apply it. Well, I do as a whole. Like, well, why don't you apply it in this situation this way? Today, obey. Today, obey. That's what the Lord has for them. That's what Moses was saying here. Because they're going to go in, but if you're going to receive all these things and you're going to be blessed, but yeah, we have to obey. And we have to obey today. Because we can't fix yesterday's disobedience apart from just repenting from it. Well, of course, is obvious. We can't go undo it, but we can do the right thing today. We can change attitudes today. We can change habits today. We can change perspectives today and, and conduct ourselves with humility and obey today. And that's what God is saying, obey. So I'm not sure what he's saying to you for obey. I got a pretty good idea what he's saying for me to obey. But if the church of Jesus Christ is obedient to his word and spirit-led, we're going to have a greater impact on society we're going to be part of church history that's really good. I don't want to be part of church history that's really bad, right? I mean, there's some stuff in the name of Jesus in the church that is really not that good. We're not in the business of religion. We want to be Acts 29. We want to be the church that has the word of God led by the spirit and impacting the world and going out in our generation. And I feel like we're doing that. I believe we've done that. That's our legacy. But this text especially with Passion Week, says, you know what? We've got Jesus on the cross on Friday. We've got an empty tomb on Sunday. And we've got Palm Sunday tomorrow. We, we come from victory. But that victory comes with discipline, diligence, and obedience to be really fruitful. I spent two days pulling weeds at a house in Florida. You know, weeds grow everywhere, but they seem to thrive in Florida, by the way. Humidity helps that. But as I pulled all those weeds and just pulled them, pulled them, pulled them, pulled them, pulled them, pulled them, I'm like, oh, there's going to be cute flowers here. i got to get every one of these weeds because I'm the kind of person when I pull weeds, like, I really pull weeds. Like one weed, I'm like, hey, I, hey, you know. And what the Lord re reminded me of is like, 
it, it takes no effort for weeds to grow. It takes no effort for your flesh to do what it wants to do. You got to be proactive. You have to pull the weeds and clear the space for the things that are meant to be there. You have to willfully and purposefully pull out. Well, the Bible says put off and put on. And as I was pulling weeds like, Lord, it's like, this is what you're doing. You, you put off and then you put on. You got to clear out the weeds. And then you can bring in like your little hibiscus and your little plumerias and your little cute little tropical plants. It takes nothing for weeds to grow. Leave your yard alone for a couple months and see what it looks like. It takes diligent effort to make it look beautiful. And that's how it works with us. We must today obey. And then there's this closing exhortation where it says, uh, beyond today, because really it's today what we control, but there's this promise here. It says that it may go well with you and your children after you. So we want to influence our children and we want to have a good life and a fruitful life to the blessing of our children and to our children's children, which is where I'm at right now in life. But really it says after you. And so we need to be reminded that when we make, when we choose to obey today, we, we trust in God's faithfulness yesterday and we, in the past, and we choose to obey today, we're really in an uncertain future. We are setting up certainty for those who will live in that future. Let me say that again. In an uncertain future, as we obey today, because like, oh, what's the world going to be like for Zippy when she's 40 or Clementine when she's 20? Well, I don't know. But as I obey the Lord today, and as we obey the Lord today, what's the church going to look like in 20 years, in 2041? What's it going to look like in 40 years, in 2061? I don't know, but as we obey, as we obey as pastors and deacons in this church, as we endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit and be true to the Lord, we are providing a covering, and we are creating a blessing for the church and for future generations that will be here when we're not here. That's what we're doing. See, I talk about this Tuesday, and I close with this thought. When we obey the Lord from our place of leadership, we put covering and hedge and protection upon those that are behind us. So as the leadership of this church is solid, it brings solid covering to all of you in this congregation. It's a safe sheepfold. As you are solid in your influences of those underneath you, you bring blessing at work that way, like Abraham and all of his servants. And as you are like that as parents, it's the same thing. I know that my good decisions pass blessings onto my children and my children's children. And I also know my bad decisions affect my children and my children's children. And as sobering as that was at 40, it's much more sobering at 60. So I say for myself as much as anyone else, if I can just trust in God's faithfulness and obey today, that which I have no control over, the tomorrows of endless futures, my trusting in his faithfulness and my choosing to obey brings the blessings on those generations that will be long after I'm gone. And then our lives will just be a memory, a part of church history. Maybe people will remember us like an Amy Carmichael or a Hudson Taylor. Maybe they won't. Maybe we'll just be one of those faithful people that didn't deny the Lord when the Boxer Rebellion happened and they were executed for their faith and we don't know their names. But they stood, and God knows their names. Today is what we have. Obedience today is what we choose. He's always done good. He's going to always do good. 
And as we walk in obedience, we bring those blessings to the entire future in a good way to humanity. It isn't that what you want the legacy of your life to be? Isn't that what we want the legacy of our life to be? The world's not only better, when we've left it better than how we found it, and we let God work in our life, but we've actually passed on things to others that will extend for generations to come. That's the fruit that we want. So it's all there. This chapter is all about obeying and doing the right thing. But the motivation is God's faithfulness in the past for our obedience in the present. And then those blessings, who knows? Who knows when Chuck, Pastor Chuck was dying of cancer, lung cancer, and all the pain that he went through gasping for air? Who know, like, how could you even explain to Chuck how much fruit's still going on in, from his life to this day on planet Earth? He's gone, but the, the, the message is going out. The church is still going forward. That's the legacy of who we are. So be encouraged and ask the Lord anytime. Ask now. And you'll know he's faithful. And we all know to obey is better than to sacrifice. And the blessings are in the obedience. So God help us to make the right choices and just keep the garden clear so good things can grow.